You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBattleLeroy.com. to turn, we continue our study um, just through this con- through our constitution proposed here in January. If you turn the book of Ephesians today, we were in uh, Colossians. Uh, if you turn to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to read in a minute. I'll start in verse 11 where uh, we're going to be a lot of places today. So this is just the first kind of warm up destination. Um, if getting to places in your Bible is not your thing, there's a great table of contents in the front. You can put a thumb there or a piece of paper. You remember, get the page numbers and uh, go from there or just listen along. But we're starting in Ephesians 2.11. And we've got a picture this week from last week. I'd like to have the kids that turn in. I don't know when the last time I got a picture from Claire was. This is from Claire Skifter. And she uh, turned in a picture through your mom. Do you recognize that from last week? Okay, good. So... Her mom, I write down little notes of what these are. So the big purple figure is God, and the little one in the middle is a little girl. And of course, you can fill in the rest of it there. So, Claire, thank you for being part of our gathering and listening in and drawing and, and letting us enjoy your art. So, all right. Love it when you kids turn those things in. If I'm up here and I'm talking to somebody and you think, man, he's going to be an hour here, just, just put it in my hand, I'll get it. And you can be on your way if you're waiting a long time. Let's look in Ephesians, God's Word, chapter 2. I'll start in verse 11. Really, the heart of it uh, is uh, verses 19 through 22, but just thought we'd give some context here. Ephesians 2:11. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God 
by the Spirit. Let me pray once again. Lord, thank You for Your wonderful Word. For in it we find the hope of Christ. Uh, the blood-bought peace with God. A gift to undeserving sinners, each one of us. And yet it's Your grace uh, imparted to us. Your righteousness imputed to us. Christ's righteousness. Um, and we thank You for Your gift to us, Lord. For all who would believe in You. Lord, again, we just ask You guide us during this time we have together that You'd bring clarity to Your Word, clarity to what I'm to share today, that You would work amongst us. And truly, Lord, as the Scripture says, to build us up in Christ, build us up as the body where our head and our Lord and our Savior and our Master is Jesus alone. And so we pray for Your guiding hand by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today as we're going through the, this proposed constitution, looking to vote in it in January, kind of going through some sermon series. If you're visiting with us, we typically like to just go through a, through a book of the Bible. We're not doing that so much. We're, we're in the Scriptures, but we're not just verse by verse as I normally like to do. So we're, we're kind of out of our element and somewhat, but I think good to gather together and look through and think through um, who we are really as a church, why we exist, what we're doing here together. And so today, as we talk through um, in the Constitution, it's, it's Articles 5 and 6. I'm not going to read them, and we're not going to really cover those per se today. But we're going to do some background work. But it's one of probably the most significant changes to our church and the Constitution. And that's the, the idea of proposing a formal church membership to our church. If you've read ahead in there, you've already seen this. I realize when I even mention the word membership, it can bring a lot of different meanings to each one of us. Perhaps it seems like a word maybe to describe a, a club with certain privileges, that sort of idea. Maybe you've grown up in a church other than Bethany where church membership, it was almost yours from birth. And that's how you know of, of membership. Uh, Perhaps it's a place where you became a member and then you were never again called on to perform your duty as a member. You just put on a list, filed away, and I don't know what that was all about. I'm, I'm past that now. I hope in the end uh, we see church membership and all it entails as a, a vital God-given component. We'll call it a, a tool of our gathering together uh, in Christ. So in our history, as a church, Bethany, we've never had formal church membership. In fact, stating in the, in the uh, Constitution that there is, there, there's to be no membership except of the, the board, the, the leadership. So this is a big area of change. We want to take time uh, to look at it. So for even the next three weeks, we're kind of going to be focusing on what membership is, what it looks like, how we envision it in the Constitution and so forth. Um, this week, more kind of overview, defining, looking through Scripture. Next week, more kind of the requirements. What's the requirement to be a... What does it look like to be a membership, a member of Bethany Bible? Um, what does it look like to receive someone into membership and so forth? How the process is going to work. And then on the third week, really looking at what we want to covenant together, to promise together. Um, 
as a body. So, uh, buckle up. We're going we're gonna to go to more places than Ephesians here today. But at least for now, just a little overview. And again, again, under this umbrella of who are we as a church? Why do we exist? We answer that for God's glory. We're to identify with Christ. How do we, how are we together? That's one part. I'm so thankful for our times to study together. I hope that's how God uses this time to draw us together, uh, members together. But as we kind of, and you've got in your bulletin kind of a somewhat rough uh, outline of where I'm going today, just an overview of church membership. And I think that begins with the question, what is the church? So membership, we're going to get to that, but we've got to start, I think, back a little further. What is the church? And, and it's a question. It can be a varied question. Uh, most often we think of a church as a building. We have five of them uh, that would call themselves churches here in Leroy. But is that how the Bible defines a church? And I think the short answer is no. It's not just a building. And I think here in Ephesians, it gives us the idea of uh, the true church. It's a church where Jesus is the cornerstone and where we're built up uh, together in him. Paul in Ephesians, he's been making argument as, as we read along that both Gentiles, so non-Jew, outside of uh, Jewish heritage, ethnicity, all that, Gentiles and Jews have been reconciled to God through Christ, in Christ. And they're further equally, according to verse uh, 19, they're fellow citizens with the saints. They're, they're members of the household of God. And then if you look in your scriptures at verse 20, they're built on something. Again, what we've already stated, they're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of the household of God. The, the leveling, the making straight, everything is built upon that stone of Christ. So any talk of church, any talk of membership, all that, we need to keep... Keep it coming back to Christ, the cornerstone. It says elsewhere um, uh, earlier in Ephesians, Christ is the head of the church. He's the authority, really, that binds this house, his house together. And then he points out that verse 22. So verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows to a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him, you also, saints in Ephesus, Ephesus, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Him, in Christ, we're built together. He dwells in the midst of His people who are built in Christ. But the church can be spoken of in some different senses. Not separations, but senses. And one of those is there's a universal sense to the church as well as a, a local sense. Universal meaning... Um, even some, you could go with another distinction, invisible, but it's made up of believers, the invisible church, believers of all time, believers that go back, not just the believers of today, but in all time. And there's a universal sense of believers geographically everywhere. Uh, barring different time zones, churches are worshiping, uh, believers are worshiping uh, together in Africa or South America or wherever they would gather. There's the universal church. So that's that's one sense we can think of the church. We talked about the invisible sense. There's a church that only God sees. We don't see 
every heart, do we? We see some, we can make some judgments, some sense. We, we can look at that. But, but there's another sense in which only God sees the heart of His true church, sometimes referred to as the invisible sense. But then there's also the local church. Paul's letters, we'd have to say, they're written to specific places, churches, like uh, Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, or to the church of the Thessalonians, or uh, last week we were talking about the, the saints in Colossae, or Laodicea here, the saints in Ephesus. So within this greater church, uh, there's this local body of believers. And again, the idea of universal church and a local church shouldn't carry with the idea that there's two separate uh, identities. They're just they're kind of distinctions. They're all one who in, in Christ. They're all one in Christ. And yet the universal church, this is not my phrase, but often you see it in reading some about either membership or reading about the church. The universal church finds its expression in the local church. So you all here and me, we are part of the universal church. It's not that church outside of us. We're part of it. But its expression is found in our local gathering of believers here. All one in Christ. But there's a geographic sense here. So we can ask then, and get more specific even, by asking what makes one a part of the local body of believers? How are you a part of the body? Now, one we could look at and think through is attendance. Are you part of the church? Uh, you could say, well, do you attend there as, as a definition? That's a bit how our bylaws speak of being able to vote. If you're in attendance three quarters of the time right now, it says then you're, you can vote. So it's attendance based. Um, maybe some other thoughts, too. Maybe, maybe it's my independent declaration. I have chosen to go here. So this is. My church, I'm a part of this. I, it was up to me and I chose to go here. Or could we, perhaps, and the question is, could we ask something more here? Again, what makes one part of a local body? Um, I've been helped by a book by Jonathan Lehman. I've got it up here. If you're interested, uh, we like short books, so uh, it's a good one on church membership. You can look at this up on Amazon if you're interested more in that. But I reference him somewhat so you know where uh, some of this is coming from. But he writes in here, he writes first, and this is helpful, what a local church is not. Okay, so we need to hear and probably overhear this, myself included, what it, this is what it's not. He says it's not a club. It's not a voluntary organization. Not a friendly group of people with a shared interest. Not a service provider. You know, we, we have a 10.30 a.m. service, but we're not a service provider in the same way that your internet is provided by a service. Um, here's some symptoms Lehman suggests of our wrong thinking about church. Here's some symptoms of wrong thinking. And, uh, in, you know, each one of us, we can look at these and go, yeah, that's some wrong thinking even on my part. Um, here's some of them. Some wrong thing about the church. One, Christians don't integrate their Monday through Saturday lives with the lives of other saints. It's not integrated. We're, we're here, and then we're not here. And we come back on Sunday. And a wrong symptom of, of what a church is. He says, uh, another wrong symptom. Christians assume they can make a 
perpetual habit of being absent from the church's gathering a few Sundays a month or more. You know, it doesn't really matter, that sort of thing. Another one, Christians make major life decisions without considering the effects of those decisions on the family of relationships in the church. I mean, when's the last time you made a major decision and thought, how will this affect my family at the church? Or even, maybe I should get some counsel from those in the church. And I'm not just speaking leadership, but just counsel from uh, the church as a whole. Uh, He says, Christians buy homes or rent apartments with scant regard for how factors such as distance and cost will affect their abilities to serve their church. Another one, Christians don't realize they are partly responsible for both the spiritual welfare and the physical livelihood of the other members of their church. He has a high view of the body of Christ. I like that. He says this, the assumption is that we have the authority to conduct our Christian lives on our own. We include the church piece when and where we please. Uh, what he's saying church is just it's part of our lives like other groups are part of our lives. Church can become, it can be an add-on rather than the most foundational and just natural way we're to live out our lives together. So week one, we spoke of why we exist to bring glory of God. I think at the heart of membership together, it's really uh, God's glory that gets us down to uh, our being members in a church. So let's think more about membership and look briefly at some possible just pictures in the Old Testament. We're not going to do much there. And then more so the New Testament, hopefully bring us um, some improved understanding here. So the Old Testament. um, I think these are helpful. I wouldn't pin them down, but I think they're helpful. And so uh, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 6, I think, what's a church and what makes someone part of a church? Go to Exodus chapter 6. And we could ask the question, well, what made Israel Israel? What really makes them the nation of Israel? And uh, Exodus 6 here, this is before they have left, before the Red Sea parted. They're still in slavery. They don't even respond to what's said here very well. But, but um, God is remembering uh, His covenant with His people. And Israel in the Old Testament, you could say, really was a version um, of the gathered people of God. Now we're not turning there, but at, before I read here, we're going to be looking at um, Exodus 6. I think it's in verse 6 here. Even Stephen in the book of book of Acts seven refers to Israel as the congregation in the wilderness. There's this gathered. Uh, he used the word ecclesia, which is would be the Greek word we use for church to refer back uh, even to Israel here in the past. He speaks of them as a congregation. And so I think as we look in Exodus, I think there's there's a covenantal ceremonial aspect to these people, this congregation of God uh, if you will. So we're looking in Exodus 6. We're seeing the people of Israel. They were a covenantal people. And God is remembering this covenant, this promise with His people. Look at verse 6. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. He would be their God. They would be His people. Israel was not her own, but a people of God. And you might remember the Israelite even had a, a sign of this covenant. That sign was circumcision given to Abraham. It was given to the men, but I think there was an allowance also. So you've kind of got this covenant. They're the people of God. Then there's this sign of the covenant given to Abraham and so forth of circumcision. And I got to thinking, well, uh, the stranger and the sojourner, how did they become part of this people of God? And, and so in Exodus 12, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 12, it talks about how a stranger comes into this people of God. At least here at this point, we're going to talk about the New Testament, but if a stranger, it says there, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. This is uh, Exodus 12, uh, midway through 48 here, if you're there. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So there was, in a sense, there was a ceremonial aspect to one being part of Israel. We don't find strangers simply uh, coming alongside and hear this the right way, but they weren't just attending Israel. They were circumcised, part of that. Now, no, I don't know that this proves formal church membership per se in just a here's what it equals in here. I think there's so much more, even as we studied last week of circumcision now in Christ, a circumcision made without hands. But I think it does show the value of covenantal relationships and the value of ceremony, some sort of ceremony. Israel was collectively, they were to be a people of God, of His commands, celebrating by ceremony and living upright lives. I think that forms in somewhat a pattern for the church in the New Testament so that Peter, as we read a couple weeks ago, he declares now the elect, those born again, you have been born again in Christ. He declares to them, you're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. Going on to say in such similar wording, you were not a people and now you are God's people. There's a bit from from Israel in the Old Testament. Maybe there's some allusions there. Let's look, though, in the New Testament as well and go into this. And uh, I'm sure there's more, but I'm just picking out three aspects to look through as we think through what it looks like to be a member of a church, what that entails, uh, three aspects. And the first one under New Testament membership, I would say, is we're members one to another. Uh, Milt helpfully, and I love it when God works this out, helpfully already read the context of Romans. So go, go there where he read from, and we're going to go, it's probably just the next verse. So I love how God works that out. But Romans uh, 12. Romans 12. Romans 12, I'll start in verse 3. 
we have this language of membership in, in the text itself. I'll start in verse 3 and then read through verse uh, 5 here. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of him, himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body, here's our language again, in Christ and individually members one of another. As we've looked at, there is both, there's a universal aspect to church membership worldwide. In Christ, member of His church. And yet there's a local church, there's a visible expression of that membership. So locally, in our body, we could ask, well, who is in Christ? And I think here an argument can be made that Rather than assuming just someone that attends, someone that came through the door is in Christ, automatically a member, there ought to be some way in which the church says, and hear this right, it's not declaring salvation, but we say we, we confirm what this person professes. They profess faith. We affirm that profession of faith. This one knows the Lord. We recognize they're in Christ. Again, formal church membership, it doesn't make one a member of the universal church. But again, to use other language, it's a tool, it's a vehicle, if you will, in order to know who's a member. What's their relationship to us as a church, to the shepherds, to leadership? But it's also more than just simply recognition. And this is where I think uh, Jonathan Lehman is helpful Uh, As we think about we're members of Christ, but this idea of members of one another, here's what he says. I'll quote him. The Bible's idea of church membership is not a voluntary club, but those gathered together under his supreme rule. And I think this is most helpful when we see who we are to be as a church. We are under the lordship, the kingship of King Jesus. That's who we're under. Uh, Jesus is not a club manager, right? He's our Lord. So he says this, Layman says, when you open your Bible, he says, stop looking for signs as we're looking at, well, what's membership? This sort of, he says, stop looking for signs of a club with its voluntary members, you know, like the, the join the bowling league or this sort of thing. No, he says, look instead for a Lord and his bound together people. He says, look, uh, look also for other forms of unity, brothers and sisters in a family, branches on a vine. It's this togetherness. It's, it's this oneness in Christ. So members one to another. And maybe take it from thinking club language. Oh, I can join or not. It's not really, I don't know, give or take. Maybe my Christianity, it's all right. It's no, this is what I need. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Another aspect, so that's one, members to another. Another aspect is really the flock of Jesus and its leadership. Lots of metaphors for the church from the New Testament, like body or like we read in Ephesians, uh, building. But it also sees believers as sheep, as a flock. We're not going there, but Jesus says in John 10, He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the 
sheep. That's, you know, we, we recognize that language. Part of that sheep work is flock work, and that's us, the gathered church. Look at, uh, you can go to Acts chapter 20, just to the left, backwards from Romans. Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 28 through, uh, through 30 here. We could also go in other places, 1 Peter 5, but we'll look at it here at least in Acts 20, verse 28 and 30. Uh, it speaks here of the elders. Uh, Paul is talking to the elders as he's on his way to Jerusalem. Speaks of them exercising oversight, shepherding, paying careful attention to the flock. That's at least in 1 Peter 5. And then, yeah, here, look in Acts 20, 28. Paul is telling the elders here, hey guys, he's saying this, pay careful attention to yourselves. Okay, so you're not just looking out, you're looking in, you know, watch out for yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I don't think he's commissioning the care for the universal church. There's a certain body here that he's calling them to care for these in 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 this part, at least in in Ephesus to the elders of the church there in Ephesus. Pay careful attention, watch over that flock that's there. So it'd be okay to ask, well, who makes up the flock that they're to oversee? Again, I think we could say local formal church membership. It just simply seeks to identify what disciples are under the care of a of a shepherd or an overseer, an elder. And it asks for their commitment to the church body as a whole and to her, to her leadership. Go also, we looked at Acts. Are we getting warmed up? Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Let's find that as well. These are, these are areas not popular in our culture today. Uh, Leadership and even what we're going to find in Hebrews, this idea of submission, a very can be a dangerous word to speak of, but we see it here in the church. Now we see it amongst us as well. I think we're going to see that later. But in this case, we're talking about the flock that God has put leaders over this flock there to oversee. And here's uh, the response. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 17 says this says to them, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage uh, to you. Again, to whom will the leaders give account for? Is it just anybody? Anybody coming in and out the door? Is it just those that come in and out of the fellowship? Again, it's, it's not as simple as saying, well, we only care, you know, uh, church member, that's, that's who we care for. You come visit, no, we're not going to care about you. We're to care. But we're accountable for those that say, I'm with Christ and I'm part of the body. And that's, that's who we're accountable, I believe, to care for. And in the midst of caring for others that would visit or come in and out and that sort of thing. Hebrews 13, really, it's, it's a call even for the elder, to keep watch over the soul joyfully and for the member to not make this a burden for the leader, but a joy. And how could it be a joy? 
by willingly submitting to their watchful care. Again, I thought of an illustration. If a doctor came, wanted to care for your bad knee. So think of in the context of this verse, a doctor comes along, sees you with a, a, a bad knee. He wants to care for it. And as soon as that doctor gets down to kind of uh, help you out, you kick him in the face, right? And you're, he's going, I'm trying to help you with your bad knee. And you, you kick him back. I think the idea here is, is this submission. Yes, doctor, I've got a bad knee. What, what do I do? There's that idea of submitting to the leadership in that sense to help those in the body of Christ. It takes humility to do that. Um, and I think even this uh, humility on the part of the member and the leader to care for one another in the right way. There's a multitude of ways this can go bad with our sinful hearts, right? But we trust God in the way He's set it up here. So again, I think membership, it's a tool in which the leader, the elder, and the congregation function best together. The leader says, this is my flock. This is to whom I'm accountable. I need to care for them. And the member says, I'm accountable to leadership. I I willingly submit uh, in that case. Third, one more aspect here, and that's on the authority of the church and discipline. Um, there's leadership in this, but there's also congregational. Uh, I believe this is our last stop. First Corinthians chapter five. If you head there, first Corinthians. Chapter five, I'm going to read a few verses here. uh, And look through here. There's just some uh, there's some implied membership here in this passage you could look at i don't think it it uh, case closed at all means but but it does help you help us think through membership so look at first corinthians 5 i'll just read verses 1 through uh, 2 and then jump down a little bit so pause right into that that remember the local church corinth he says it's actually reported that there is in verse 1 there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? And here's the phrase, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Let me jump down to verse, uh, well, verse 9 here. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, swindlers, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Verse 11 here. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Okay, there's, there's the identification. Who is, they bear the name of brother. How do we know that name? I think membership is a tool there. So anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And then says this to the church, purge the evil person from among you. And that's this idea of church discipline. Here's what Mark Deaver says in his book. He, the book is titled, what, uh, what is a Healthy Church? 
And he's pointing out here Paul's call for the Corinthian church to remove him from among them. Remove the one that has done this thing. Remove him from among them. He says this, you cannot formally exclude someone if he is not formally included in the first place. We could ask here, who is the insider of a church? Who's the outsider? There's language here of among you or inside the church. I think it can imply at least some sort. And again, it's going to look different. Even culture look different. Some sort of membership so that there's a distinguishing between those passing through, those visitors. And who is the church? Who's inside? Who's outside? How do you uh, remove them from among you? And those sorts of questions. So the church has a unique role. Quoting from Jonathan Lehman, Lehman again, he says this, the local church is the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape to my Christian life and yours. Let me read that again because I, I think when we get a hold of what the church is to be, uh, my prayer is that we say, whoa, there's more here. There's more to each one of you speaking into my life and me. It's not just pastor, uh, congregation, listener. It's one another speaking into one another's life, building one, one another up uh, to us. Again, the local church is the authority on earth. Right? It's the bride of Christ, the authority on earth that Jesus has instituted to officially affirm and give shape discipleship, give shape to my Christian life and yours, he says. He's made us members one of another. God has established leadership for the church. He's given direction for even how to how to discipline those in the church. Think of Matthew 18 and so forth. So where do we go for the final say, at least on earth, as to our Christian life? Where do we go? As strange and unnatural as it seems to our independent natures, the authority God has instituted on earth is his church. Notice here, I'm not just saying that authority is all in the elder and the pastor as if there's some authority even among the church. I think Paul's saying here, let him be removed from among you. Uh, believe the context of Corinthians. He's not just writing the leadership. It's the church. There's a duty in the church as well. So then this last statement, I think, is, is the, the controversial statement from, from Jonathan Lehman, but I think helpful. It says, Christians don't join churches. They submit to them. And again, that's using that, that it's non-good language. That's not even a word. It's just not good language for 2017. That we don't join. So it's not, a, it's not to be kind of this voluntary, take it or leave it. Maybe I want it. Do they have what I need? Is it going to meet? It's, it's this submission to say, Lord, on earth you've instituted this authority in my life. Yes, there's leadership and there's fellow believers. And I'm to open myself and be accountable to them to say, speak into my life. And for us to speak into others' Lives. Ephesians 5.21, even of one another, says submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. So as we kind of uh, sum these, bring them together, there's just the, the last part of your outline. There's just some practical outflows. Uh, sometimes I like to think in, in terms that help me remember different some categories. 
And that's what you have in your bulletin. To just see church membership really maybe summed up in four words. Some summaries are maybe better than others, but it makes the word rope. So, and I think that's good. Church membership is our part of holding on as Christ holds on to us, but holding on together to Christ. You can think of it as a rope. The first R there would be relationships. Relationships. Local church membership formalizes the relationships of believer to believer and believer to the leader. Kind of, It's based on the idea of a covenant, an agreement between two parties. It lays out, here's our expectations for one another. Here's consequences of that relationship. You and I want to be in a relationship. Here's what it's going to entail. I'm going to speak into your life. I want you to speak into my life. I want to hear from the leadership, those sorts of things. These things to be in one who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and those things ought to be sought and welcomed. And that's just against our nature to welcome uh, correction, welcome one another into our lives. I think often, myself included, I don't want to speak truth in me. That's hard to hear. We don't like to hear that. I think that's part of us growing uh, together. So one who is truly a member of the church universal should welcome the church local. Again, a church not ashamed of the gospel, holding to the authority of the Bible. You think of different churches, some more than others. But again, welcoming that church to speak into their life for their spiritual growth, for their sanctification of them. Kind of comparing it to like a marriage. There's both, both in a marriage, there's the formal the ceremony, the I do, and then there's the living it out. And I think membership is to be both. It is not, we're not proposing, let's do membership, let's get a list and let's file that and we'll never talk or think about it again. I believe there's way more to it to be active as members uh, together. That's how it affects relationships. I think it affects order amongst us. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Just think of this in terms of even our voting. I think local formal church membership, it only allows those who are members to vote. I think without a formal procedure to discern who's a member, here's the danger. Anyone's voice, even an unbeliever, if you've attended for so long, can vote. You can uh, have a say in leadership, those sorts of things, and would not even determine, is this person in Christ? And so that's, I think that's part of bringing order, that we would be voting as a body, that the church is to be the body of Christ, in Christ. We welcome others, visitors to church, but ultimately the church is those in Christ. So voting is part of that. Even discipline, again, I think membership in the area of discipline, it says, I welcome discipline. Now, at the time that it comes, it may not be welcome, but at least there's an agreement on the part of the leadership and those uh, becoming members to say, I'm willing. And the leadership says, we're going to do this discipline. If we see things in your life that do not match with Christ, we're moving towards this. I think having that agreement ahead of time is better than kind of go, well, uh, you've been here so long, we're now going to, uh, apply this discipline to your life. Membership helps give some order to that. Uh, P, it brings uh, protection with it. 
I think this is related to order. It's protection for the church. Without more formal membership, our church, we are left open. I believe we're vulnerable to false teaching, to liberal influence. You know, when enough of one flavor attends, then they can vote and we can change path. I think it's part of protecting the doctrine of the gospel, really, of the, and of the church here. Uh, theological drift, it's a real danger to the church. And so part of that is membership, a tool. And then the E part of rope is the equipping. Ephesians 4.12 talks of equipping to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I think membership is part of that equipping for ministry. Again, as we relate to one another, we submit to one another. We welcome one another to speak into our lives. Covenant with one another. Um, in one sense, membership, it formalizes just who is the church to equip. Not that we can't equip others outside, but it formalizes. And who is to do the equipping. Well, there's a lot there. Uh, I think we're recording it. You can listen online. Um, uh, Milt, come up with me at the end of the service. We'll be up here if you have questions as you read ahead and want to ask. Next week, we're going to look into this and just look more practically through the Constitution of what that looks like. Let me just encourage you, though. Again, as in other things, we don't have to wait for a vote. We don't have to wait till this is in place to encourage one another and to build one another up in the faith. And most importantly, if you don't know, if you're not a member of the church universal of Christ and know Him as your Savior, I invite you today to do that. To see your need, your sinfulness before a holy God and to turn to Him. Alright? Let's pray together. Father, there are some things we're talking about today like submission and authority and Jesus as Lord that to our flesh are just foreign, can be. Father, even right now, I pray as the church gathered here at Bethany that we would um, even now take responsibility to care for one another, to love one another, all the one another's of your Scripture. You'd help us to do that. Lord, give us a right understanding as we go forward. And Lord, I pray You'd build us up that, that a year from now or ten years from now, we would not look the same. People would say, wow, that they care for one another there. There is a unity in the body of Christ. There's a love for one another. Not because we all deserve it, because we're redeemed in Christ and we can show that love in Christ to those that don't deserve it. Either us or those toward, we're towards. So Lord, guide us, build us as your church to bring you glory in this local place where you have put us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.